I'm David Berlin with Blockchain Journal. I'm here in Davos, Switzerland at World Economic Forum 2023. Things are very busy here. We've got world leaders, business leaders having a very important conversation down the street in the World Congress Center, but all up and down the main promenade, there are all sorts of venues and buildings that are being occupied by all sorts of technology companies where a bunch of conversations are taking place behind closed doors, many of them talking about blockchain. And one of those is going to take place right now in this studio. And I'm sitting here with Andy Gasworth, who is the chief innovation officer for DLA Piper. Who and what is DLA Piper? How big are they? Uh, DLA Piper is a very large global law firm. We're in the top three. Um, we have a uh, footprint in over 40 countries uh, worldwide, and uh, we work across almost the whole portfolio of legal services. And uh, just... What do you mean by a whole portfolio of legal services? For those of us who like work with one law, a lawyer, you know? Yeah, so a very large corporate practice, real estate, commodities, securities. Really, it's we're, we're a business law firm. That's really where our focus is. So your customers are enterprises, yes? Definitely a very large component of them would be enterprises, um, companies of names you know, uh, names that you use all the time. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing is also with enterprises, there are many organizations that you use their products or services every day and you've never actually heard about them. So, um, you know, it's very interesting also in a global situation, you can have a company that has a very big footprint in one place and doesn't necessarily have it in another geography. So it's interesting to see which companies work across different areas. Um, but we also have another component, which is very interesting. And I think it really feeds into blockchain. You know, we're going to talk about enterprise, but it's also important to talk about emerging growth and, and venture capital type of organizations organizations, because for blockchain to be successful in the enterprise, there's going to be a component of that too. And we do have a very large practice in emerging growth and, and venture capital. So when I think of a law firm, I don't think of somebody who's working at it with a title chief innovation officer. This sort of is an indication to me that as big as DLA Piper is, they're also serious about technology to have somebody like you in their midst. What is a chief innovation officer responsible for at a big law firm like this? Yeah, so I'll just give you a little bit of history uh, about myself, and then um, you know I think it'll all kind of come together. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I am very fortunate that I work at a law firm, really the law firm that's been the most progressive about innovation and really adopting technology to improve legal services. Uh, I was at Microsoft for seven years before coming to DLA Piper, and uh, the last thing that my uh, former boss at Microsoft said to me was, um, you know, obviously you've heard of the Surface tablet uh, that, that mm -hmm. Microsoft has. Uh, they said, you know, uh, you're going from a Surface tablet to a stone tablet. That was <laughs> what he said to me. Uh, and then, you know, I arrived at uh, DLA Piper and I had this brand new uh, iMac Pro. And I said, how do you like my new stone tablet? Right. So um, but uh, the, the important thing was uh, when I was coming over to the firm, I was specifically brought there um, to a firm that I knew a number of the other chiefs that had worked there. So it was kind of getting the band back together which is always a great situation. You know, we all uh, live and work in small communities, even though it's you know a, a big planet. Uh, so it was great to be able to work with those people again. But the other part of it really was that the firm was very progressive in the way that it runs the firm. It runs it much more as a business. You know, obviously it is still a partnership, uh, but having chiefs across different areas working together and really laying out a strategy and delivering those services was the differentiator that I wanted to see. But I was specifically brought there 
care to um, identify with innovation new ways that not only could we deliver, deliver traditional legal services, but also build alternative revenue businesses that um, complemented the traditional legal services. So that's really what uh, my job is. I, I own the IT shop, but I also own the innovation shop. And those two kind of work in a multi-generational life cycle together uh, with obviously a strong user adoption program and making sure that we're addressing not just the needs of the firm, but also generating value for our clients and their downstream customers. Technologically speaking, because you could just be focused on providing information technology to everybody in the company just to optimize workflow and get things running administratively. But what you're saying is you're going to use technology to create new products and services for your customers. Yeah. And, you know, along those lines, it's never, it should never be a discussion about technology. It should always be a discussion about business. What is the business objective here? How do we know we succeeded? Technology is becoming a more and more important part of that. But it's not, if you start off with a technical discussion, you're never going to get to address the business business to, uh, you know objective unless you're lucky, you know, and, and nobody wants to rely on luck in this type of business. But over the last ten years, you've seen sort of a shift of all sorts of old school companies suddenly re envisioning themselves as a technology platform for their customers. It seems like you're kind of heading in that direction. Yeah, and you know, I mean, just to be candid, uh, the the law firm, the the legal industry was not a very progressive industry. I mean, when I came in and I moved, DLA Piper was the first large large law firm that moved to the cloud, and we have a you know very significant cloud footprint. In fact, our cloud footprint now is larger than all of the other firms put together. So, you know, that that gives you some scope of how innovative we've been in, in driving it forward. Um, but you know, back at Microsoft, I would get no credit for moving someone to the cloud. It's when you get to the cloud, what are you actually doing with that, and how are you changing the way that uh, you work? And that's really what my team with the business has been focused on. Okay, what are the actual, you know, we would call them digital hotspots. What are the problems that you're having that you need to address? And can, what do we do from a process reengineering or a mat reimagining the business, digital transformation, changing the way you're delivering business, and then bringing the the right technical solution to the table to meet those business objectives. And that's what I do on a daily basis internally. And that's also what I try to do helping our clients and their downstream customers with solutions like that. So when did blockchain first hit your radar and what about it caught your eye? So I, I started my work with blockchain back when I was at Microsoft. Uh, you know, it's always interesting to take a look back and see what you were working on. And as, and as cutting edge as it might have been at the time, the tools and the capabilities have come so far from where they were that, you know, you look back and you realize if you want to talk about a stone tablet, that was really the stone tablet of blockchain. Um, but uh, when I came to the firm, one of the first projects that I worked on is a project called Toco, and it's our digital asset creation platform at uh, DLA Piper. Um, we focus only on, uh, you know, let me let me start off by saying no crypto. This is not what we're mm -hmm. we're doing. We're tokenizing real world assets, things that are, are tangible or or have a demonstrable value behind them, and then and bringing them to onto a blockchain for it, which I'm sure you'll ask, you know, what are the advantages of that, or why would we do that? Um, um, but the first discussion I had with any C-level uh, person I'm talking with is, let's just get one thing straight. We're not going to have a discussion on crypto. We're going to have a discussion on meeting your business objectives. And I think it's very important to, to mention that um, just because blockchain exists doesn't mean you should use it. 
Um, and that's a really important thing is, you know, I'll have CEOs come to me or, or C-level folks and say, you know, Andy, I know I'm supposed to be doing something with blockchain. What should I do? And I said, that's, a, that's exactly the wrong approach here. What's the problem that you're having in business or where do you think you could improve the business? And let's talk about whether a Web3 or a blockchain solution has a place in what you're trying to achieve. Not every uh, thing is a nail to your hammer, essentially. So I want to come back to two phrases you used. You said digital assets, mm-hmm. and then you said tokenization. Let's take those one at a time. What do you mean by a digital asset? And then I'll follow up with what is tokenization? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in what we're doing from a legal perspective and, you know, most of the work that uh, we've been doing with tokenization and and creating digital assets has been in the international part of our firm, um, a lot less on the U.S. side. And that's really mainly from, you know, a regulatory standpoint, certain geographies move faster than others. Everything will eventually, you know, worlds will collide and, and, you know, this won't be uh, something to even mention moving forward. But uh, from a digital asset perspective, really what I'm, I'm focusing on is let's go back to the my mission at the firm, which is to complement the traditional legal services. So if somebody comes to us and says, you know, I have a, an office building uh, that I want to um, turn into a digital asset or basically represent it digitally, we're doing all of the same legal work we would normally do. You have a real estate attorney, you might have a corporate attorney, you have different attorneys that are coming together as a team to basically put the deal together. Instead of putting them out onto paper, what we're doing is we're putting them into a digital representation of what they would normally do on paper. And the important thing here is that, um, you know, and, and this is called tokenization. Essentially, we're fractionalizing an asset and we're creating a digital representation of those fractions. What does fractionalizing mean when you fractionalize it? You're breaking it into uh, digestible parts, which have a um, value that when you aggregate all of the tokens together that make up that, that asset, they, they're the equivalent of the, the value of that asset. Fractionalize a building. What, what's an example of yeah. that? Might do that? So, uh, you know, let's say, you know, just for ease of math, let's say you had a $100 million office building. And, and you're bringing up, you know, a, a very important question here, which is part of the mission of what we were looking at. One is a building or an asset of $100 million is not a very liquid asset, right? Um, it's, it's a big building. There's a lot of things that go into maintaining it, so on and so forth. And um, I don't know about you, and I hope the blockchain journal works out, but I don't have $100 million to buy an office building. I don't have a group of friends to get $100 million to get together to do that. So how do you drive liquidity for an asset like that? Well, one of the ways of doing it is if you fractionalize it and you have a digital representation of it and you break it into small enough parts that you and I or anybody else can actually now invest in this type of asset, you have democratized access Mm -hmm. to being able to invest in these things. And this is really something that is very, very important to me. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of in my heart or it's the reason I wanted to be involved in this is that you see that it opens up the ability for so many people to have a different level of access to being able to invest and build wealth and, and do right by themselves. So, and if you can bring more people into the equation, through that fractionalization, the more people that have access to be able to, and, and look, they have to be KYC, know your customer, right? They have to be AML. You can you know, get involved in money laundering. There are a lot of regulations that go around this, but you're going to create liquidity if you have more people that have access. So, so, so the business use case here is I'm a developer. I build $100 million office buildings, but I don't have a whole lot of great access to capital. Like I, Instead of going to one person for $100 million, now I can fractionalize that asset 
and I can cap get the capital I need from investors who are buying their fractions. Is that the- yeah? And, and without you know getting too deep into yeah. the uh, you know, I think really what you're looking at is two different sides of the equation. One is the asset already exists, and we want to fractionalize it and and change the ownership model of it. The other one might be a, a you know a a raising um, of capital, mm-hmm. where um, you know there would be different. Uh, parameters that go along with it, but certainly that's another use of, of tokenization is to raise capital. Um, and, and that could happen in many different ways. There could be debt restructuring, there could be securitization. Um, and this is really not where I, I live. You know, we have attorneys and, and I'm not an attorney. I'm not a recovering attorney, right? Um, so that's best left to the attorneys. You know, certainly um, nothing important gets done with, you know, a single person, nor should one person ever claim to be the expert in, in everything. And so is there a token that represents each fractional part? Yeah, exactly. So um, what's what's really uh, you know an important thing about this is that um, there are so many opportunities to improve processes and very and many in many cases very slow processes, mm-hmm. as well as remove intermediaries from the equation. So you know we have a saying, or, or not we in general, there's a saying you know time kills deals, right? So is there a way to actually start a deal or start a process and move through it more quickly because there are fewer intermediaries or you're able to verify that the information that you're looking at is the same as what someone else is looking at Mm -hmm. and that you know it to be correct. It's authenticated. It's verifiable. And that's really where a blockchain comes into play. It's immutable, right? You're storing information and that information is written for keeps, if you will. And that information is auditable. So you can go back and you can trace back to the ownership or, or see the, the provenance of where, you know, whether it be a building, uh, be raw materials, chain it, of ownership, chain of ownership. And also importantly, what are the parameters of ownership? You know, and there you can have a document that's hashed, you know, that's cryptographically hashed protected, but then everybody can look at that hash and say, oh, I am, I know I'm looking at the document that matches this hash so that this person and this person and this person can go ahead and sign a document knowing that everybody is signing the on same top, document. On top of which, you know that that token represents, let's say, a fractional, uh, the fractionalized asset. And there's no question about the authenticity of that token married to that physical asset, which today as far as I know, in real estate is super problematic when you think about titles and stuff like that. There's a whole other cottage industry yeah, around and, that. And, you know, I would say also there's secondary markets, you know, with insurance, yeah. certainly, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, bringing it back to the enterprise. There's a lot of opportunities for very large companies who are involved in these processes today to do things differently and have a place or a seat at the table moving forward in a, in a, way that better serves their customers mm-hmm. on both sides of the equation and also better serves themselves. I mean, you know, driving down costs, increasing profitability while still improving service and and providing, you know, more for what uh, people need and protecting them properly. You talk about disintermediation, uh, maybe collapsing of the... T- you said... Um uh, what was the saying? Uh, the amount of time you'll lose the deal. Uh, time kills deals. Time kills deals. Uh, so, uh, are you looking at or re- relying on the automation capabilities that are that come with smart contracts on top of the blockchain to to handle the disintermediation to take you know what would normally be trusted parties out and just trust the technology to to do that and also to speed it up. So, like anything else. Things need to be done properly, 
right? And, you know, I think what we've seen in industry when it comes to things like crypto or, you know, even certain blockchains, there have been problems. And, you know, my view is uh, if you're doing anything that has any inkling of being a financial system mm-hmm. or, or processing something from a financial perspective or an ownership perspective, you better do it right. And I think the reason that people come to us for legal services when it comes to working with blockchains, um, whether it's coming and working in TOCO and, and tokenizing an asset, is that knowing that you have the backing of a global law firm that can bring the right people to the table, you know, it's as simple as this. If you're going to be working in this space, you need to know that you're doing everything correctly. Nobody wants to get in trouble or worse. Mm-hmm. For, and, and certainly nobody wants from a reputational standpoint to have you know, a problem, which then discredits them, not only in the new Web3 side of the business, but could hurt the reputation in a, in a legacy type of brand. So it's really, really important to do that. Now, to your, your question about smart contracts, you know, I think that the future is certainly smart contracts. You want to be able to, and, and this does speed deals because when an action occurs or a parameter is met or an event happens, um, that triggers the next event in a smart contract. The problem or the potential problem with smart contracts is, are they written properly? Do they actually represent what the agreement was and are they secure? And that also has, you know, another whole nother industry around it where we, we personally use third parties when there are smart contracts involved to come in and do the reviews at a level that we're comfortable with and our clients are comfortable with to know that they're going to stay out of trouble and more important that they're going to protect the people that they're doing business with. Okay. Uh, now you also mentioned, uh, you, you talked a little bit about tokenization and I've heard this phrase tokenization of everything. Is that something that everybody who's watching this video should be looking for? Like, are, are we going to wake up one morning in 10 years and find that everything, all physical objects, not just buildings, but cars and whatever are tokenized in the way that you discussed? Yeah. You know, how long it takes uh, remains to be seen. Uh, You know, we've been involved in uh, tokenization for about four and a half years now. Originally, we thought, wow, it would be great if we could be ready in in a year. And what we realized was, first of all, we were not going to be ready for (laughs) in a year, which was an incredible amount of hubris that, uh, you know, we had brought to the table. And and sometimes it's good to uh, get a, you know, a gut check with that, Mm -hmm. a dose of reality. But we were very fortunate in that if we had actually gotten to market sooner, we would be out of business now because we would have been too early to the market. So that all works out. But I would, I, I do believe that we are moving towards a fully tokenized economy, a fully tokenized world. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. I mean, you can even look at for years now, um, countries like Estonia, you know, you have a, a, an ID, which is essentially a token. It's mm-hmm. the equivalent of a token. You have all of your health care, all of your taxes, all of your education, getting on the bus, getting on the train. You know, the list goes on and on. It's all securely tied to a digital ID or what can be considered a token. So I, I very much think it's moving in that direction. And I think as you look to how you consume energy and as, as, as electric or solar or other you know, alternative energies become more prevalent, you will see that basically you're paying or you're buying or you're allocating energy 
in one direction or another, and all of that will be absolutely tokenized. I think the, the important thing is that it's done properly, it's done with oversight, and it should be done with the main idea in mind is let's eliminate fraud, waste, and abuse or mitigate it as much as possible. And I think that's a huge opportunity, um, certainly for governments and for corporations uh, accordingly. Are you, you said, you mentioned tokenizing buildings, fractionalizing the tokens and all that. Uh, what else is DLA Piper getting involved in? What, what other assets are getting tokenized? Yeah, so I mean, you know, Toco uh, and and you know, let separate out DLA Piper from Toco. Toco, mm-hmm. you know, operates uh, independently, even yeah. though they're you know uh, owned by DLA Piper. Um, really, anything that you can consider property, so uh, natural resources, mines, oil and gas, um, real estate, fine art debt restructuring, securitization in, in general, um, you know, even things like potentially like racehorses or sports teams or sports contracts, you know, these are all things that have an inherent value and can be fractionalized. And again, it's a great opportunity to offer democratization of access to be able to invest. Um, you know, in the United States, the Green Bay Packers, right? They have an ownership model, uh, you know, amongst folks. It's, it doesn't, it's not tokenized yet, but it, shows you that, okay, well, someone was able to do this on paper, right? Mm-hmm. So it can be done from a tokenization standpoint. The difference is it could be done in a much more secure way. And that's really the wave of the future um, and an automated way too. You're owned by a law firm. You're very familiar with all of the, uh, the sort of economies that go around the world of compliance. Mm-hmm. You mentioned regulatory issues earlier. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to where things are laying. You know, some countries, as you pointed out, are there's a little more regulatory certainty than there than than there is for sure in the United States. So, uh, when you talk about you, you talk about securitization, that really must intersect that whole conversation that's taking place yeah, with respect to security and huge, commodity. Huge conversation, and you know, we have uh, attorneys at the firm especially in Washington, D.C., that are part of our regulatory group. Uh, I get I have the pleasure of working with them on a regular basis. Um, you know, and, and, and many times it's just talking to companies about, you know, something I'm thinking of doing something on blockchain or our commodities team when we're talking about carbon offsets and sustainability. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of this stuff, whether it's a security, um, which a lot goes around that, you know, and I'll just leave it at that, <laughs> um, but or commodities, which is, you know, especially from a carbon aspect is becoming more and more favorable or easier to do. Um, you know, that's what the expert, the, the subject matter experts are the attorneys and, you know, bringing the right expertise to the table again is the way to navigate through it. Um, from a tokenization standpoint on TOCO, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is where is the asset? What type of asset is it? it does the asset move? Is it a boat or is it a building? Right. You know, um, who can invest from what geographies? You know, have everyone, has everyone been KYC at an AML, as we talked about before? Um, and then. Once you solve for those parts, is there a broker dealer, is there a custodian, and is there a DLT or an exchange that you're going to put this token out to get them to the exchange? So I think what you're going to see is that companies and people know that tokenization is coming. And what they're going to do is they're going to tokenize their assets and represent them digitally, but they may not put them out to an exchange just yet. They may wait and see and let the regulatory bodies become fully comfortable. And really, I think the regulatory bodies are taking the right approach. They want this to be done the right way because really, when it comes to the overall economy, when it comes to, you know, doesn't matter what country you're in, 
it has to be done right. There can't be a, oops, didn't work out this time and we'll do it again you know, differently. Right. You're not going to get a second chance here. So I understand their reticence of moving more slowly to make sure they have all the bases. Well, that's actually a really good bit of advice for enterprises, right? Because they can dip their toe in the water. They can say, hey, look, let's, let's experiment with blockchain and tokenize a bunch of stuff, but not really let anybody know that we've done that. And then when the time comes and there's more regulatory certainty, then they can say, okay, Here's how we're doing business with this, these tokenized well, let's, let's Let's move that discussion ahead and say, don't worry about securitization or tokenization of assets. Look at how you conduct business now and you do it in a Web2 world, traditional databases, and look at the advantages. And again, this is if the, solu- if the use case or this, you know, fits the solution. It doesn't mean blockchain every time. But if you have something that you're doing in a Web2 world and you can gain the advantages of a DLT. You have, you know, again, that immutability. Um, certain DLTs, not going to even mention any names, but certain DLTs are much faster than others, have much better uh, uh, or much lower energy consumption, um, have finality in their transactions. These are all poor, important things for the way enterprises work. If you have a DLT that will meet a solution, you can turn your enterprise solution that you have today, you can replumb it into a Web3 world. You're leveraging blockchain. You're gaining all the advantages of what it has to offer. And you're probably already working on um, removing intermediaries, providing better service, reducing fraud, waste, and abuse. You know, these are things that matter. And again, when I, when I go in and I talk to a C-level, um, you know, I say, look, uh, you have an opportunity here to take on a project that's going to help you in multiple ways. And I think this is really the guidance that I would give to the enterprise is you're going to sit in front of a board or shareholders on a quarterly basis. Um, Talking about doing a project that's going to be very expensive, that is not going to drive optimization and profitability for your organization is going to be a very uncomfortable discussion. So let's actually, again, what's the business objective? Where is the digital friction or, or the digital hotspots in that process? And now let's talk about a solution, you know, may or may not involve blockchain, but in this case, let's say it does, where this is going to allow you to show I have built the business case. This is the ROI I'm expecting. And then have those metrics, which you can actually come back to the shareholders, back to the board and say, this is why we took on this project. And oh, by the way, not only did we drive profitability here, but we also, from an ESG perspective, environmental, social, and governance, we brought along not just the G of really running the business more um, under a more controlled way and, and, and increasing profitability, reducing costs, whatever lowering time, but also here were the environmental and the social benefits that we drove in it. And, you know, if you, if you look at certain industries right now that are trying to create circular economies, um, you know, look at the battery industry, right? You know, you extract cobalt and lithium out of the ground. It is very costly. It's very costly from an environmental standpoint and, and many times from a social standpoint. Um, what companies are looking to do, you know, that, that material goes and it must be refined and processed into usable material. It goes out to manufacturers. They put them in batteries. It goes to electric vehicles or whomever. It gets used and let's not put it into a burn pit. Let's actually now take that material and gain the ESG or the carbon offset advantage for doing this. And let's make the next round of this life cycle 80% reclaimed material and 20% new material. Not only is that more profitable for every step of this complex supply chain or this circular economy, but on top of that, 
I've removed less raw material from the ground. It was less expensive, but it's also less expensive from an environmental and social standpoint. So those are the type of solutions at a very enterprise level, complex supply chains and circular economies that we're having discussions with, with, you know, large organizations that we we work with. Um, and those are the meaningful conversations where they realize, oh, look, I can actually do something here. Um, forget all the regulatory stuff. All of this stuff I can do as a regular business process. You know, and I think that that's the important thing to dip their toe in, if you will, like you said. Well, Andy Gasworth, Chief Innovation Officer at DLA Piper. That is just an amazing amount of advice that our audience is getting from a practitioner who's been doing it for so long. So I want to thank you very much for joining us here in Davos. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. That was good to see you.